God, our Father, Lord, we honor you and we bless you this day. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you, dear God, for the precious blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your heart of compassion toward us, for your heart of of pity, God. Oh, Lord, that you would come down from heaven and save us. Glorious God, we praise you. We thank you for the goodness that you have just poured into our lives by your Holy Spirit. O oh Lord, the peace that you give us, the rest that you give us. God, the comfort that you give us in all of our afflictions. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for the hope that you give us of eternal life. And God, we Christians, our hope will never fail. We always have something good to look forward to, God. And so we thank you. And Even in the midst of the darkest circumstance, God, we have the bright hope of your soon coming kingdom. And so, Lord, for that we eagerly wait and long for it. And during our wait, we diligently serve you, God. And so today we ask for insight, understanding as we look into your word. Help us to understand your gospel more and more as we see the day approaching. And give us strength in our faith, God, that we might proclaim it to a lost and dying world. We honor you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I get going here, I wanted to tell you that um, if you're not aware, we have a Friday morning men's Bible study uh, that meets here at 6 a.m. And we have been going through systematic theology for about two years. And this Friday morning men's Bible study is rather informal. Uh, so we don't really have a fixed structure. We, we are basically just following a text with an open Bible So we come together at 6 o'clock in the morning, rubbing our eyes and uh, looking for uh, the nearest cup of coffee. (laughs) And uh, but we get together and we encourage one another through the scripture and by praying for one another and sharing together in our faith. And uh, we recently changed our topic. We uh, stopped going through the systematic theology and uh, we made it about halfway through the book and we kind of felt like we were kind of bogged down and chasing all kinds of other relevant issues uh, each week as we came together. So we decided to kind of shift gears, and, and now we're, we're going through this book by Thomas Watson called The Godly Man's Picture. And I just wanted to let all of you men know, just in case any of you are interested, we're now studying biblical manhood. And uh, if you will, this is the text that we're using, and just wanted to invite any of you who might want to come to that. Uh And then also, I think I'm going to put this one on the tape. Testing one, two. Okay. And then I just wanted to make you aware of a book that I'm reading in preparation for the coming weeks of our class by J.I. Packer called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. This had long been in my wish list. And uh, my sister Carol Ruvalo gave it to me recently, 
free book. Uh, but it's filled with tremendous insight about the sovereignty of God and human responsibility and how it relates to evangelism. And if you've, if you've never read this book, this is a really good book to have in your library. J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. Okay? The other book is Thomas Watson, The Godly Man's Picture. Okay? By the way, women can be greatly encouraged by reading this book. It's it's just uh, it's just an, over, uh, an overview of godliness is really what it is, and, and practical godliness in the life of a Christian. Okay. Okay. With that, we're going to take up where we left off. And uh, in in recent weeks, we've been talking about gospel promises, and we've been talking about the fact that the gospel takes many forms, and one of the forms that it takes is Good promises from God of blessing. And uh, if you will, uh, we have covered these promises to some degree and talked about the fact that God promises uh, through the gospel forgiveness of sins and restoration and healing from sin. And that he has an open heart of compassion and he's inviting men to come. And when they come, the chief blessing that they receive in the gospel is God himself. And that uh, God himself becomes the possession of the believer. So that he is their God and they are his people. Amen? And that this is the chief blessing in the gospel, that we would actually receive God himself. But in so receiving God, he promises to be our all-sufficiency. And so what it means to say that God is our God is to say that God is, is, is sufficient for every need that we have in our life. And that He's our light and He's our salvation and He's our refuge and He's our strength and He's our joy and He's everything that we need for life. Amen? And uh, so, if you will, uh, God then also becomes our all-sufficiency. And so we have a we have a promise in the gospel that God, by being our God, will meet all of our needs. And he'll care for our deepest needs, whatever they may be. And he'll care for our smallest needs, whatever they may be. Amen? And God is faithful to be our all-sufficiency, sufficient for everything that we need. But then also, he promises through the gospel to make us like him. He promises to sanctify us and to conform us into the image of Christ and to transform us from lowly, wicked um, uh, sinners, rebels. He promises to change us and to conform us into his image so that we become like he is. And we, in turning from our sins and embracing and following Christ, then we begin to walk in his steps and do what he does and go where he goes and think what he thinks and say what he says. Because God is transforming us from the inside out. Amen? And, of course, we've talked about the fact that this sanctification process happens through the Word by the Spirit. And that we talked about how it's a revelatory process. Amen? We're growing in the knowledge of God. We're growing in the true knowledge. That means we're growing in knowing God personally and experiencing God. And this experiencing God is a knowing of God. Amen? 
And that as we come to know him and see him, the Bible says we take on his likeness. Or we are, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, being transformed into the same image. Okay? And so God promises through the gospel to make us like him. So much so that at the end of the sanctification process is what we call glorification. Where God literally transforms our bodies to be like his glorious body, right? Philippians 3.20, where he will take the, the, this earthly body and conform it to be like his heavenly body. Or like John says in 1 John 3, that uh, we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, right? For we shall see him as he is. We'll, we'll finally come face to face with Jesus. And that sight of that beatific vision, if you will, will utterly transform us into the same likeness as he is, even in our bodies. Amen? And this mortal will put on immortality. And this perishable will put on the imperishable. And we will never die. We will be immortal. Amen? Glorious. Children of God. Bible says that he has adopted us into his family and we have the right through receiving him to become the children of God. And so the children of God now fashioned him in his image and glorified with him. Now then we partake of another gospel promise, which is an eternal inheritance kept in heaven from you that does not fade or perish. Amen. And that at that time, we receive in its fullness all the inheritance that God has stored up for us. And we are, the Bible says, co-heirs with Christ. And that we have this inheritance stored up for us. And there comes a point in time in history when we will ultimately receive it. Amen? Of course, we've received it now as a right and a privilege of being his children. And of that inheritance, we are taking little installments and drawing right now of the peace and the joy and the profound patience and, and goodness that God is. We take these little, little uh, what do you call them? Uh, not a deposit, but a, oh, help me, withdrawal. We take out a withdrawal from our account, if you will, right? And and in so doing, we're partaking in the divine nature. We're becoming more and more like him. There's going to come a point in time when we receive the capacity to receive it in all of its fullness. Amen? And so shall we be with the Lord forever, the Bible says. Encourage one another with these words. Amen? Okay. And so, if you will, these are these gospel promises. And so, I, I just kind of want to end this section by talking about this topic. The gospel is a message of comfort, healing, and hope. The gospel is a message of comfort, healing, and hope. It's not only a warning to flee from the wrath of God, amen, but it's also an invitation to come and be comforted. It's an invitation to come and to be healed and to be restored, amen, and, and it's an invitation to come and have great hope and, and to, have a, a, to receive a, a, a hope that is so positive and so uplifting and so encouraging, amen, that we can never fail in this hope that we have. Because ultimately, no matter how dark these days are here, they're only a light and momentary affliction. Amen? You with me? 
And so, if you will, the gospel is a message of comfort and of healing and of hope. And we Christians need to be able to articulate that. Are you with me? Jesus can heal you from your sin problems. Amen? And let me tell you, that's what every sinner needs. That's what every sinner needs. Are you with me? And let me tell you, they need it desperately, whether they're aware of it or not. Amen? But you're aware of it. You're aware of what they need. Furthermore, think about how this is the very testimony of our lives as Christians. Right? Family, this is the testimony of my life that God has invited me in. And when I came, he comforted me and he healed me and he restored my life. Amen? He lifted me up out of the mire and pit of sin. And he, and, and, he, and he brought me into his house that was filled with goodness and mercy. Amen? And, and there my life has just gotten nothing but better. I mean, my, things just continue to change for the good. <laughs> the more and more I become like Christ, the more and more I, I partake of, of his divine nature, the more and more my life is just descending into eternal life. Are you with me? And, and that's been my testimony. It's been my experience. It doesn't mean that there's nothing going wrong in the world anymore. The world is still falling apart. Right? In fact, even my body is falling apart. I'm getting old. I'm aging. Right? And this thing is not functioning like it used to. Are you with me? I know you all see evidence of that every week. <laughs> right? The old, the old ticker isn't ticking as efficiently as it used to. <laughs> But but nevertheless, the inner man is renewed day by day. Amen? And my hope and the encouragement that I have in Christ is just growing. The expectation of glory is nearer than it was before. I don't know about you, but I love birthdays. Because I'm one year closer to heaven. And one year further away from this dark place where I've been wandering as a stranger and a pilgrim. Are you with me? This is not my home. My home is in heaven. And that's where God has called me. Amen. And I have good hope. And I have profound encouragement that one day soon I'm going to be there. Amen. And every birthday that rolls by is just uh, makes my smile just wider. Okay. Let's shed this old body of clay. And let's enter into glory. That's why we were created. Amen. You remember when we read that last week? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that for this very purpose, right, God created us, that death might be swallowed up by life. Amen? That's why John says, don't love the world or anything in the world. (laughs) There's nothing here. This place is perishing. It's dying. It's fading away. Okay? But we have an inheritance in heaven that will never fade away. That's kept, we're kept by the power of God to receive that inheritance. Amen? First Peter chapter 1. Okay, so with that, let's talk about this specifically, that the gospel is a message of comfort, healing, and hope. The gospel is a message that brings healing and comfort to the poor sinners whose conscience is weighed down with the guilt and pain of sin. And think about this. Think about being a sinner, being apart from Christ, And think about the weight of guilt and the pain of sin. 
And here's the thing, you know, most sinners really aren't even aware of it. They're just experiencing it. And as they experience it, they're just bitter about it. Amen? Because that's what sin does. Sin brings bitterness. Sin brings weight. It brings pain. It brings hurt. It brings destruction. And so every sinner is weighed down with guilt and with the pain of sin. That is the natural byproduct of sin. That's the fruit of sin. The fruit or the wages of sin is what? It's death. It's dying. It's descending. Are you with me? And so it is a promise. The gospel is a promise of forgiveness from God that frees the conscience from this heavy weight. Jesus invites all people to humbly come to him and to receive this healing from the wounds of sin. And these are his words in Matthew eleven twenty eight and following. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load is light. I'll never forget being a young Bible teacher. And uh, one morning I was teaching class and I was telling everybody how hard it was to be a Christian. (laughs) And uh, my faithful sister, Bonnie, raises up her hand and she says to me, Well, brother, don't you know the way of the sinner? It is hard. (laughs) Right? But Jesus' yoke is easy and it is light. And let me tell you, let me tell you what a lesson that was for me and how that just spoke to me and how, you know, here I was, you know, and, and, then, and then it just shone a light into my soul, you know, where I could see and understand how my life of sin was something, let me tell you, that was very, very hard. I was constantly kicking against the goads. I was constantly warring against God. And no matter what I did or which way I went, I was frustrated in all my efforts. Are you with me? Because, you know, the self never gets enough. Self is like a leech, you know. It never gets enough. It's never satisfied. It's insatiable. It's like the fire that's in hell. It's never quenched. There isn't anything that can quench it. Are you with me? And so, if you will, I began to understand what, what she meant when she said the way of the sinner, it is hard, right? And the burden of the Lord is light. That yoke is easy, amen? And so, if you will, think about, think about being under the weight and being under the guilt of sin and how this is, Jesus says, heavy laden on the back of the sinner, right? Come to me, all ye who are heavy laden, he says, and I will give you rest. And Jesus is offering rest from what? From a heavy weight of what? Of guilt and of sin. From a heavy heart, he's offering rest. He is offering healing to the bruised conscience that has constantly been sinning against God and reaping the wages of its work. And so the sinner has this conscience that just is again and again and again bruised by violating it over and over again. 
And the weight that is on the soul of the sinner is very heavy. Jesus says it's heavy laden. And in that soul is bitterness. And there is a rottenness. Because this is what sin does. Sin causes decay. It causes corruption. It causes bitterness. Right? It may be sweet in the mouth when you eat it, but when it hits the belly, let me tell you, it's sour. And the pleasure of sin is only for a moment. But the reward it brings is rottenness and bitterness and destruction and death. Amen? And let me tell you, every sinner is weighed down with sin. It's what it means to be a sinner. They're dying. They're decaying. They're rotting away. And that's why as you see them get older and older in their sin and not coming to Christ, they just get more bitter. And they just get more heavy and more weighed down. Okay? Because that's the direction of their life. They're descending into the mire and into the pit of sin. Are you with me? It's a heavy, heavy place. Sin destroys the life. It brings destruction. It destroys relationships. It brings emotional pain. It brings weight in the heart. It reaps all kinds of negative fruits in the heart. Negative emotional pain. Look at the lives of people around you who are weighed down with sin. Look at how lonely they are and how bitter their relationships have become. And some more than others. Some more than others. Sin destroys. It causes pain. There is pain of sin. There is guilt of sin. Let me tell you, every sinner is guilty before God. And there is a guilt that weighs on their conscience. And this is, of course, one of the first works that God does when he draws us to himself. He opens our eyes to see what has weighed us down. Amen. And he shows us the great provision that he's made in Christ. And he shows us that Christ is a willing savior. He shows us that Christ is a willing healer. And that through Christ we can be forgiven and the the guilt, the weight of the guilt can be lifted. Amen? But consider how the sinner just lives his life in constant rebellion against God. And so that the scripture says, the face of the Lord is against the wicked. And that they are constantly fighting against God. And that ultimately, whatever it is that they're striving for, is they're never going to find fulfillment. They're never going to find satisfaction. They may search the world over looking for an idol that satisfies, but they all turn out to be dead. Every idol man worships is something that is perishing unless he worships God, who is the source of life. Amen? And how men and women go through life Lifelong searching for something that satisfies. Searching for something that brings lasting joy and lasting fulfillment. And yet in their search, they're constantly fighting against God whose face is against them. Are you with me? Tough stuff. Tough place to be. It's a heavy laden place. It's a place of weariness. You know, the sinner, he goes through life and he he comes to the path of, of, of temptation and he chooses trouble 
And then he begins to walk in the path of trouble and it brings nothing but more trouble on him. And more choices of trouble. And it just, it just continues to unfold in his life, this pathway that leads down to death. Jesus is offering to rescue us from that path of the wicked, which leads to death. Are you with me? And this is exactly what he does. He takes us and he heals us. He removes the guilt of sin and with it, the sting and the pain of sin. He begins to restore and he begins to heal. And he puts a salve on there that soothes. Are you with me? And sometimes it takes a while, right? You get yourself so intertangled and so intertwined in your sin so that you've created enormous problems in your life. Amen? And the Lord begins to put the pieces back together, right? But you know, he promises that he'll restore the years that the locust has eaten. Amen? And that he'll give to you. And, and here's the deal. As you come to Christ and your, your heart and your life is healed, he begins to put all the pieces together. And there comes a day when your heart is so filled with joy, you can hardly remember the pain of your sin. Amen? Some of this may be foreign to some of you, but let me tell you, I've walked through it and I understand. You know? Um, let me tell you, the Lord can heal the pain of sin. And he can lift the weight of guilt. And sinners need to hear this message, family. That he is not just a savior from those things, but he is a willing savior. And he is inviting men to come and receive healing. He's inviting men to come and receive forgiveness. He's inviting men to come and have their consciences washed and have the weight of guilt lifted even if they don't realize that that's exactly what is the heavy laden burden that they carry. Amen? And it's through this gracious invitation many times that the Lord opens the eyes of the sinner so that he can see. And and we need simply to tell them, come and drink freely from the water of life. Amen? That Christ is a willing Savior. That Jesus freely invites people to come to him <clears throat> And in coming to him, he offers rest. He offers rest to those who are heavy laden. This presupposes that we realize that we are heavy laden under the burden of guilt and sin. You see, Christ is inviting those who are under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, who mourn their sins against God, who realize they have ruined their life by many sins and have separated themselves from God, the very source of life, by continual sin. And so, if you will, you know, what, what's happening is Christ is inviting men and those whom he's working in their heart and opening their eyes, they begin to see. Okay? And you know how sometimes you're witnessing to people and it's just like they just don't get it? <laughs> and no matter how many times you tell them, they just can't see. They can't, they don't get it. And you go away thinking, God, turn on the light, please. You know, and some of them you've been ministering to them for years and years and years, and they just don't get it. They just think you're a religious fanatic. They just think you're a wacko. What is this Jesus thing? Come on, get off my back, would you? <laughs> and you just love them, and you just, you see their life ebbing away in sin. You just want them to be saved. Amen? And you're just trying to tell them that Jesus is the way. <laughs> And they've tried a thousand ways to Sunday to articulate that, and they just can't see. Amen? 
Well, ultimately, there comes a point in time with all those whom God is drawing to himself where they begin to see and understand the heavy weight of sin. And God begins to open their eyes that it is sin that has destroyed them and that Christ is the way to bring forgiveness and healing. Amen? At which point they become willing by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust in Christ and they receive that healing. Amen? And so we talk about the effectual calling of the Spirit of God. But nevertheless, family, the gospel is the means by which God saves men out of that. It's the message of his healing. It's the message of his comfort. It's the warning against death and hell. Amen? That God uses to convict the conscience and to draw sinners to himself. The analogy so many times employed in Scripture shows the guilty sinner bruised and broken by the fall into sin, heavy laden and toiling under the burden of sin, which only leads to death, seeking to fill the unquenchable hunger and thirst of their souls created by being cut off from relationship with God, who alone is the fountain of life. And so, if you will, it's kind of like that hymn, you know, where... uh Uh, the hymn goes like this, Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. And and this is the deal. The, The sinner is bruised and he's broken by the fall. His His life is in desperate need of healing. And Jesus is inviting him to come and to be healed. His heart is hungry for something that fills. Because everything he tries to consume in his life never brings lasting fulfillment to his soul. And he's, if you will, constantly thirsty for something more, some kind of drink that satisfies his soul and the unquenchable desire in his soul for satisfaction. And so the Bible portrays this with these images of life, of food and of thirst. And so Jesus would say in John 6:34, they said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And this is the promise that Jesus gives. But consider Jesus' promise. When he says, he who comes to me, uh, I'm sorry, he says, he who comes to me shall not hunger. Is Jesus talking about physical hunger? No, what's he talking about? He's talking about the hunger of the soul for fulfillment. Right? And he's using the analogy of a hungry stomach. Right? And he's saying that if you come to him, he fills that hunger that's in the soul. Amen? And and more than that, he who believes in me shall never thirst. Now, is he talking about physical thirst? No, he's not. He's talking about that, 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 that desire that man has inside of his heart as if he were in a dry and burning desert and has not had a drink of water and needs something to quench that thirst. Amen? Jesus says he is the quencher of that thirst in the soul. Amen? 
He promises, Jesus promises to fill the longing of the soul and comforts us by filling the void in our hearts. Let me tell you something. Sinners have a void in their hearts, whether you want to believe it or whether you don't want to believe it. Jesus is telling us here that men hunger and men thirst. And he says he is the fulfillment of those desires. Amen. And so so here's a gospel promise. The thing you're hungry for when you're a sinner and that keeps evading you in your life, no matter where you look, Christ is the answer. Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is the one that quenches the thirst that is in the soul. Amen. He promises to be exactly that. This is what he says. He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Amen? And let me tell you, once Jesus is your possession, family, you have a fountain that's ever running. Amen? And whenever your soul is thirsty, you just go to the Lord. Amen? And he fills and he satisfies. Amen? Jesus satisfies the longing that's in the soul. Amen? That's our testimony as Christians. Agreed? The gospel then is an invitation to come and receive the blessing and benefits afforded by forgiveness from sin and healing from the hand of God who also comforts our wounded conscience by the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something. Sinners truly are bruised and broken. Their life is broken. Their heart is broken. Their conscience is hurt. It's bruised. It's wounded. These, these are the biblical words for this. Okay? You know, Jesus comes to the earth. God comes to the earth. He spends a little bit of time on earth. What does he do? Right? The scripture says he went about doing good and healing all who were sick. Right? And preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. Amen? And so what did Jesus do? Well, he went around healing all these sick people. What do you suppose that means? What does it mean that he came and healed the blind and that he healed the lame and that he healed the leper and that he healed the deaf and the mute? What do you suppose it means? Let me tell you what it means. Jesus is a healer. He heals from the pain and the wound of sin, family. And this is what sinners need so desperately. And we need to be able to articulate to them, Christ can heal your wounds. And they may, they may deny that they even have them. Amen? But let me tell you, it's those very words that will pierce into that dark heart. It's those very words that will open the eye that they have a great wound that needs to be healed. Amen? And you're presenting Christ as the healer. You know, and, and of course, in Christianity, we get so focused on physical healing that we miss the whole point. <laughs> Are you with me? Many times that happens. I'm not suggesting that happens all the time, but we've all seen those abuses. And so, you know, the argument about whether or not God heals people. Well, that's ridiculous. Of course, God heals people. Just read the Bible and see what God did when he came here. Amen. <laughs> And here is promise to heal. But the point is, you know, if God heals you from your cancer and you wind up in hell, well, that didn't do you a whole lot of good, now did it? Right? Because there's a cancer in the soul that needs to be healed. Are you with me? And that's the main point of the healing that Christ brings. 
And so you got cancer? Go to Christ and ask Him to heal you. Fine. Right? But let me tell you, everybody's got a cancer. Much more severe than any cancer that's inflicted your body. Are you with me? And Christ is a healer for the cancer of the soul. Are you with me? And family, this is the gospel that we preach. Jesus is a healer. He's offering to heal us from the thing that has afflicted our lives and caused the whole creation to plunge into bondage to decay. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He's the one and only that came to save and to heal and to restore. Amen? And that's who he is. And let me tell you, every sinner who has not come to Christ has a broken life, they have a broken heart, they have a guilty conscience, and they desperately need Christ. And whether or not they recognize it or not, let me tell you, the invitation, the gospel is an invitation to receive a healing from that and to receive the forgiveness and to receive the comfort and the grace of God. Amen? And Christ is the way that they receive it. Indeed, God promises to restore to us the benefit of his blessing, which is pictured in Scripture as a well-watered garden or a river of delights. For instance, in Psalm 36, 7 through 9, How precious is thy loving kindness, O God! And the children of men take refuge in the shadow of thy wings. They drink their fill of abundance of thy house, and thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delights, For with thee is the fountain of life, and in thy light we see light. In Christ we find a refuge from the scorching desert heat of sin under the shadow of thy wings. And this is the precious loving kindness of God where we drink the fill of the abundance of thy house. Listen, God comforts his people and restores the waste places of their broken lives and the wilderness of their wanderings in sin so that their lives are now like the garden of the Lord. And this is the, the language that's used in scripture. You see what it says there? That we take refuge in the shadow of his wings. What do we need a refuge from, family? From the burning heat of sin. Are you with me? It's like a picture in a desert, right? It's like a, it's like a picture finding a shadow from the heat of desert heat, okay? And he says that thou dost give them to drink of the river of thy delight. You understand when you're in a desert and you see a river? Let me tell you, it's like an oasis, amen? I was just recently in Palm Springs and my uncle lives there. We went out to visit and he took us up to this place where there's a river that flows down from the mountain on the edge of the desert. And in the bottom of that river canyon is these palm trees, just huge palm trees all along the river, like this forest of palm trees. Amazing, amazing. But you see that thing, and it's so hot out there, and you can just see how this thing is like an oasis, you know. And you get down there, there's this crystal clear water flowing down through there, feeding all those trees. And you just kind of get the idea of what it's like to find your thirst being quenched in the heat of that desert sun. But that's the way the Bible portrays the offer of God, the offer of God and his blessing. It's a refuge from the desert heat, so much so that it's like a river and a garden. You understand, rivers and gardens don't live in the desert. Nothing lives in the desert. 
except thorns and thistles and rocks and lizards. Are you with me? And if you will, in, in, in Bible language, right, there's this picture in the scripture of how God is offering his blessing by analogy and talking about how we, we get this uh, uh, rivers and gardens as the offer that God gives. He says that men take refuge in the shadow of his wings and they drink their fill of abundance in his house and they drink of the river of his delights and in him is the fountain of life. Amen? It's a place where our thirst is quenched. Or in Isaiah 51, he says, Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. Now, Zion in the book of Isaiah is a picture of the people of God. It's a picture of the assembly of God, or if you will, the church, the church of old and the church of now. It is the people of God. Zion is a picture of God's people, the gathering of God's people. Okay, And here he says, The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. And her wilderness he will make like Eden. And her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of a a melody. Now notice that the fruits of this garden are not tomatoes and cucumbers. They are joy and gladness added to thanksgiving. Think about this. The Lord will comfort his people. He'll comfort her waste places and the wilderness, and he'll make it like what? Like Eden, which is a reference to what? The good creation of God before the fall into sin. Amen? It's like a fruitful, well-watered garden. You go back, you read of Eden. There's four rivers that run through that place, right? And, And one of them is... Uh, the the Pishon and the other is the Gihon. You know what that is? A spurter and a gusher. And and the idea is the place is filled with water. It's well watered. It's a well watered garden. Amen. And this is what God is saying. He'll comfort her waste places and her wilderness, and he'll make it like a garden. This is a picture of the Christian life. This is a picture of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Your life becomes like a well-watered garden, right? And the fruits that it bears are, listen, joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the sound of a melody. Amen? He causes the heart to sing. He causes the heart to be grateful because he fills it with his joy and with his gladness. Amen? And that's in contrast to, listen, her waste places and her wilderness. You understand? This is why the church is in heaven praising God forever. She was saved out of the scorching heat of sin and brought into the well-watered garden. God has restored her back into the Garden of Eden. These analogies in Scripture are vivid pictures of the healing of our souls as we are reconciled to God. Because in the dry, arid climate of the Bible, writers, these rivers and gardens were analogies of fruitful and refreshing delights to those who thirsted and hungered. This is the comfort that God, who is said to be the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, gives to his church as they abide in his peace. And so, if you will, the, the scripture will talk about how we receive. I mean, the, the chief fruits of the Holy Spirit are what? Love and joy and peace 
Amen? And these are the fruits that we partake of as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. In Acts 9.31, there it talks about the church and it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Is that a picture of the church? Is that a picture of our church? Right? Enjoying peace and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. What is the comfort of the Holy Spirit, family? (laughs) It's that healing salve that's healing you from the wound of sin. And Christ has taken you in. He's taken you in and He's embraced you warmly. Amen? How God comforts us. The scripture says of God, 2 Corinthians 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. This is a title for God, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen? Let me tell you. Every sinner is in desperate need of the mercies of God and the comforting of God because he is sick and sore from sin. Amen? And this is what God is to us. Right? He's not beating you over the head with a Bible every other day. If he is, you got a wrong picture of God. You forgot to read the part where it said he was the father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. Amen? And God has received you in spite of you. Amen? In spite of how bad I am, in spite of how often I rebel, even after he saved me. Amen? He's still the God of all comfort and the father of all mercies. And he's still ready to heal and to restore and to forgive and to build me up and strengthen me and wash off the dirt of this world. Amen? And cleanse me. And heal me. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. But the comfort that God gives is not temporary. But it is eternal comfort that never ends. And this is the gospel promise for all those who come to Christ. It is a promise of eternal healing, comfort, and rest from the weight and burden of sin. Let me tell you, God is offering not just to heal the pain of sin, but family, to heal it forever. To heal it forever and ever and ever, world without end. God is promising to give us a healing that endures forever. Christ is an everlasting fountain of life. And blessing for those who come to him as he fills the longing of our hearts to be healed from a sin-sick world. And his promise is the fulfilling of our hope for a place of delight and eternal abundance where we will no longer mourn or cry or die. You understand? Jesus is promising to give us a utopia beyond our, 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 uh, our farthest comprehension. Is that, is that too big of a boast of what Christ is promising? 
Let me tell you, heaven is a utopia. I, I don't know what other word to describe of, of a world where all your needs are met and there's no more pain or dying or crying or mourning for the old order of things has passed away, right? But the only thing that's there is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Amen? And everything in that world is no longer in chaos, Right? Everything in that world is perfectly put back in its place and everything is in its right order. And everything functions like it's supposed to. And you understand, there's no more pain and no more mourning and no more dying and no more crying. There's no more negative influence from sin in that place any longer. And family, it lasts forever and ever and ever, world without end. Are you with me? That's what the gospel is promising to all who will come to Christ. Now that is a magnanimous promise. Amen? It's one we ought to be broadcasting. Second Thessalonians 2, 16 and following. Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. These amazing promises give us good hope of a heart and a world healed from the deadly disease of sin. And we long to see the world restored to that place of abundance and life like it was when God created it, when he called it a garden and blessed it with his presence every day. You see, that was the thing about Eden. It wasn't just a glorious, beautiful, refreshing place. But let me tell you, God showed up every day. And that was what the soul of man was longing for. That fellowship with God, who is all goodness and all virtue. Amen? That is what fills the longing of the heart. This eternal comfort and good hope is available to all who simply come to Christ in repentance and faith to receive his healing and his promise. To those who hope in God and trust him to save them from sin and death and to provide for them eternal life, he promises his loving kindness and his eternal blessing. This promise comes from Almighty God who alone holds the power of life and immortality and who alone is the faithful and true God who can offer such exceedingly great promises as these. Who can offer a promise like God offers in the scripture? No one but God. Who can offer to give you eternal life but God himself? Amen? And that is in fact what the gospel is. It is an offer for you, the dying sinner, to live forever. Amen? And it comes from the only one who can give it. No one else has power over life but God. And God freely offers life to all who are dying. Amen? It's amazing. And, and I mean, you think about these things. The, the, the Bible, listen, the Bible makes promises that, that no other book, no other religion, no other man-made thing can even possibly imagine. You understand? Because there's supernatural promises that come from a supernatural God. You understand? Supernatural, supranatural. They're outside of the natural realm. They're outside of the natural creation. They come from God himself family and they're amazing promises 
I mean, you, you know, you, you can hardly even think in this mode that God is going to give us life eternal in a kingdom where there's no more chaos, no more disorder, no more hurt, no more pain, no more dying. We can hardly even imagine it. Amen? And that's why we shrug it off. That's why you, you tell a sinner God will give them eternal life and they shrug it off. Their conscience is so wounded and so hardened from sin, they shrug off the promise of eternal life. Imagine that. We, this culture that's so consumed with, uh, you know, living beyond, uh, 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 you know, 90, so I can be 98 and just a little more shriveled up. <laughs> Are you with me? You know, everybody in the world is just doing everything they can to preserve the body so it'll last as long as possible because, you know, we're finally going to achieve, you know, uh, uh, the fountain of youth, right? Somehow we're going to come up with the right pill, right? All the while, God is saying, I will heal you. I will give you eternal life. I will restore your soul. I will, I will, I will heal the guilt of the conscience, the weight of sin that's in your heart. I'll be a well-watered garden for you. I'll be a fountain in the desert. Not only that, I'll give you my eternal glory and blessing forever and ever. All you have to do is turn from your sin and come to me. Amen? And sinners just shrug off that invitation from God as if it were some small thing. Oh, the darkness of sin. Amen? Therefore, the believer has good hope of the life and blessing of God who will show them loving kindness and heal them from their sin and death and give them rest for their souls. Like he offers in Psalm 33, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope for his loving kindness, to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart rejoices in Him because we trust in His holy name. Let Thy loving kindness, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hoped in Thee. You know who God saves their soul from death? Those who hope in Him. Those who look to Him for life. Amen? To those who put their hope in the Lord and call upon Him to save them, He will surely answer and hear the cry of those who call upon Him. As He says in Psalm 145, verse 18, The Lord is near to who? To all who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. You know what you need to do to be saved? Cry out to God. The Bible says he will hear you, right? And all who trust in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen? All who call upon God to save them, what do you suppose God's going to do? He's going to save them. Amen? You see, men simply need to recognize they need a Savior, and then they need to call out to the Savior to save them. It's like that dying thief. He's on the cross. His life is ebbing away. He gets the revelation. Here's Jesus. He don't belong there. The guy realizes, I'm, I'm guilty. I'm a, I'm a wretch. I'm, I'm supposed to be here. This guy is the Son of God. He doesn't belong there, right? This, this dying thief, let me tell you, he doesn't have one good work. 
He doesn't have one single thing to bring to God when he dies. Nothing. He's a picture of grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Because he's got nothing to bring. You with me? You know what he did? He called on the name of the Lord. This is what he said. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. No merits of his own to bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Amen. He cried out to Jesus, and you know what Jesus' quick, ready, willing response was? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. All that man had to do was cry out to Christ. And Christ was a willing Savior who received him and gave him eternal life. Amen? Interesting how Jesus described it. He described it as paradise. Eden restored Amen? And that's what you see when you read the last page of the book. Right? It even describes the glory of that place for us. Brother? Oh, oh yeah. (laughs) Okay. To the glory of God alone. Right? And surely that's whom the man was giving glory. Amen? Well, the gospel is an invitation to come and to be healed and to restored. It is an invitation to come and receive life and blessing beyond our comprehension. Further, this invitation goes out to all who will seek the Lord and who will call upon him to save from sin. For all who seek him and call upon him, God promises to have compassion and to pardon their sins. You hear what I'm telling you? The gospel is for everybody. It's for every living creature on the face of the earth. And we are commanded by Christ to go out and preach it. Not in respect of anybody's class, of their culture, of their race. No matter who they are, the gospel is for all men everywhere. For all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And God is not a respecter of persons. He's not a respecter of race. He's not a respecter of class. He's not a respecter of intelligence. He's not a respecter of anything. He is impartial. Are you with me? And God saves men from every language and tribe and nation and people. Amen? In fact, Jesus' death has secured the salvation of men and women from every tribe and language and nation and people. Amen? That's what we mean by particular redemption, isn't it? Jesus did, in fact, secure the salvation of his elect. It's a done deal. We just need to go proclaim it to him. Amen? Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord. And he will have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Amen? Let the wicked forsake his way and turn to the Lord and the Lord will forgive. The Lord will receive him. Even though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. Amen? Glorious God. God is seen in Scripture as the great Savior who saves all who call upon Him because He is gracious and compassionate. He will abundantly pardon those who repent of their sin and turn to Him for healing and forgiveness. His ear is seen to be turned to the one who calls and His heart ready to forgive and heal. 
as he says in Psalm 116, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I shall call upon him as long as I live. The cords of death encompassed me and the terrors of Sheol came upon me. I found distress and sorrow. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For thou hast rescued my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. Amen? Is that the testimony of your heart? Isn't it amazing how that same spirit that lives in you also lived in the psalmist? The same cry that's in your heart is in his mouth. Amen? The promise held out in the gospel is indeed the greatest of all beyond any ever made. And we'll end with these words of God. Revelation 21, verses 3 through 7. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them, and he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for the promises that are held out in the gospel. I pray, God, that you would help us to be able to articulate these to people who are in such desperate need of them, God. Oh, Lord, help us to appreciate the many, many manifold blessings that you've brought into our life. And help us, Lord, to recount those, to count them and to recount them to all who are in our life. May your praise continually be upon our lips, O God, as we go through our day, as we uh, encounter the hurting, the hungry, and the thirsty people of this world, God. Help us to point them to that great fountain of life our Lord Jesus, and to his old rugged cross. We honor you and we bless you in his name. Amen.